0: Have you ever heard the old saying, you know, a good person is hard to find? Actually, I think originally the phrase was, a good man is hard to find, or a good woman is hard to find. It's kind of a takeoff on Proverbs 31.10, and in modern terms, it means bemoaning the difficulty of finding a suitable partner. Well, the reality of this proverb is kind of the backstory of Ruth, chapter 3. This chapter is all about two very special people and the strangest marriage proposal in the Bible. And I, find, I, I feel it's only fair to warn you that if you know someone who's looking for ways to ask someone to marry them, you may not want to recommend that they read Ruth chapter three because the strategy that Ruth employed will likely be at the bottom of the list of good ideas. So here's what we have in this story. A woman asks a man to marry her and he agrees. It's a bit unusual, but there's more to consider. A foreigner asks a Jew to marry her. That's extremely unlikely. And if we look a little closer, we realize that an employee asks her boss to marry her. Stranger yet. And finally, It's a younger woman who approaches an older man at midnight on the threshing floor, no less, and asks him to marry her. All of this is highly irregular, to say the least. But this story teaches us that God has his ways. And sometimes those ways may seem very strange to us indeed. So we'll come back to that in just a second. But first, let me ask you a question. If you are dating, or if you are married how did you meet your partner jan and i met uh, together in the cafeteria at asbury college in those days now university she served food and i stacked the clean plates right next to uh, her serving line uh, so that she could get her job done that was pretty romantic wasn't it you know but when we, when we contemplate the future, though, you see, we, we like to say, you know, anything can happen. And that's true, because anything happens all the time, but we can't necessarily predict it in advance. That goes for college cafeterias, it goes for midnight meetings at the threshing floor. Now, not exactly the normal places that we might think to meet our future partner. But before we jump into Ruth chapter 3, let me just say that the way couples meet today is infinitely varied. These days it often happens online, through some dating app like Match.com or eHarmony or one of the many others that are out there, and I know a lot of people who have met that way and I've officiated at some of their weddings. Sometimes people are introduced by a mutual friend, or they may meet through work, or through church, or at a party, and occasionally people don't want to say how they met because it embarrasses them. And sometimes the way couples meet each other seems so strange to be almost unbelievable. And that leads me back to the story of Ruth and Boaz. Nothing about their meeting or their marriage seems normal, or at least by modern standards. Ruth didn't have many good options. Today she might write an ad like, Like this, widowed woman from Moab seeks godly Israelite man of noble character for long walks in the barley fields, quiet evenings by the fire, must-like children. Those kinds of things weren't an option 3,000 years ago. So Ruth chapter 3 tells us how a good man and a good woman found each other and ended up getting married. It's proof positive that God works in us and with us and through our choices to accomplish his purposes. Here's what's so exciting to me. This story seems so unlikely that it must be true. And the chapter is divided into three scenes, a risky plan, a midnight proposal, and a providential pause. The whole episode happens overnight. It begins in the evening with the main event happening around midnight and the final scene taking place early in the next morning. So let's take a closer look at all three scenes. First, scene one, a risky plan. Look at verses uh, one through six. One day Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. And so she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Harvest time had arrived. This, that's key to everything else that happens in this story. After many years of famine, there was a good harvest at last. And that's why Naomi knew that Boaz would be at the threshing floor. And when you hear the words threshing floor, don't think of a barn, but imagine a flat spot near the top of a hill where the winds could separate the barley from the chaff. It was the happiest time of the year for farmers because it meant their hard work was about to pay off And months earlier, they had planted barley and they waited for the rains to come. And as owner of the land, Boaz would be at the threshing floor to oversee his workers. And he would also spend the night there to protect his crop from thieves. And that's why Naomi knew where to find Boaz on that particular night. And that brings us to her plan, which she hatched to provide a permanent home for Ruth, her Moabite daughter-in-law. She and Ruth had already experienced kindness from Boaz, and now it was time to take the next step. Her plan was a bit risky, to say the least. Look at verse 3 again. Now do as I tell you. Take a bath and put on perfume and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down and then go and uncover his feet, and lie down there, he will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. Now why would Naomi suggest such a preposterous scheme? We find the key verse in verse two. Boaz is a close relative of ours. Naomi has already taken Ruth in and made her a part of the family. Even though she is from Moab, that's an astonishing statement all by itself. But then she calls Boaz a relative. In some way or another, he was related to Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. Was he a cousin, an uncle, a more distant relative? We don't really know. But he shared the same family tree as Elimelech, which means he was qualified to be a kinsman redeemer. To fill that role, he must be a relative, able to take on the responsibility of another person, and above all, he must be willing to do it. And the kinsman redeemer would, um, stepped in during a time of great need, and this was a time of great need, the death of a would qualify him to do this, to preserve the family property, to maintain the family line. So Naomi knows all this, and she and Boaz could rescue Ruth and provide a home and future for her. He and Ruth could also have a baby which would preserve the name of her late husband. All of this was no doubt in Naomi's mind. Some Bible commentators take a dim view of Naomi's plan because they think it was borderline immoral. Some even think she wanted Ruth to convince Boaz to sleep with her. I've already said the plan was risky. It was dangerous for a one, young woman, especially a foreigner, to go to the threshing floor at night dressed in her finest and perfume on and her makeup on. You could think of a dozen ways that this could all go wrong. But this story is in the Bible because it's true, not because we need to do, not because we need to do what Ruth did. Beyond the risk factor, I see no evidence that Naomi had bad motives. Remember that Ruth and Boaz had already met out on the harvest field. She had already made a positive impression on him, and and he knew about her loyal love for Naomi and how Ruth had left Moab to live with her. Plus, he saw how hard she worked in the field. Her reputation had preceded her. He had already welcomed her, had had warned his men not to bother her, had invited her to his table and had sent her home with grain. Perhaps thoughts of romance had already entered Boaz's mind. Certainly he appreciated how difficult it was for a woman of her background to come to live in Bethlehem. But think about it for a moment. Boaz couldn't approach Ruth. She was young, she was a widow, she was from Moab, she's now working for him. So in that culture at that time, it couldn't happen. Understand that Naomi hatches this audacious scheme. Was she a matchmaker? Mm, If so, who could blame her for wanting to see Ruth and Boaz get married? Boaz was a good man. Ruth was a good woman. That much has already been established. But if Boaz can't propose to Ruth, then she can propose to him. The details about her dress and perfume simply set the scene. They would show Boaz how serious she is. Far from being some sort of midnight seduction, here was a way, perhaps the only way, for this man and this woman to come together as future husband and wife. Now note how specific Naomi is. She knew Boaz would sleep with his head facing inward and his feet facing outward. Ruth had to find a way to arrive at the threshing floor undetected, figure out where he was sleeping, and wait until he had finished eating and drinking. And finally, she would uncover his feet, because that would guarantee that he would eventually wake up. Perhaps the most surprising part in Ruth's response in verse 5, I will do everything you say. She knew the risks involved, There were many reasons to say no, but she said yes. And this is the way God's plan unfolds for his children. Perhaps we can call this veiled providence. That's a phrase that perfectly balances both sides of this story. On one hand, it looks as if Ruth is taking a big risk all on her own, but behind Naomi's plan stood God who orchestrated every detail, including Boaz, Boaz getting cold feet that would wake him up about midnight. Faith means taking a risk for God and leaving the results in God's hands. And when the sun went down and Ruth left for the threshing floor, Naomi was pacing nervously, not knowing what would happen next. And that's how faith works. We take a step forward, following the light that we have, trusting that God is going to bring us to the right place. Sometimes things don't work as planned, and that's okay too. Our part is to take the first step. God's part is to do the rest. Scene one ends with Ruth stepping into the evening darkness, wondering how Boaz will respond, and her future hangs in the balance. Now scene two, the midnight proposal. Look at verses uh, 7 through 15. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. Verse 9, I am your servant, Ruth. She replied, spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, There is another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he is willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay at Boaz's feet until the morning, she went, but, when, but she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back, and then he returned to the town. Now midnight it's all quiet on the threshing floor suddenly a man stirs realizing his feet is uncovered peering into the darkness Boaz makes out the form of a woman lying at his feet and that was startling it was troubling was she a prostitute? after all it was well known that a man could buy sexual favors at the threshing floor so Boaz asks in a whisper we presume who are you? and no doubt her answer shocked him I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. Now, in case you haven't guessed it, this was a straightforward marriage proposal. The phrase, take me under your wing, can also be translated, spread the corner of your covering over me. It was Ruth's way of saying, marry me and bring me under your protection. She uses... The same Hebrew word Boaz used in Ruth 2.12 when he described the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He knew exactly what she meant. As I have come to God for my spiritual refuge, I now come to you for my personal refuge. Now if Boaz had been a lesser man, he might have tried to take advantage of her. Let's sleep together and I'll think about it in the morning. But he didn't do that. He responds in three ways that show the greatness of his character. First, he prays that God will bless her because this kindness to him is greater than her earlier kindness to Naomi. She could have married a younger man for passion, for money, whatever, but she didn't. And second, he agrees to do what she asks because everyone knows that she's a virtuous woman. It's the same word used in Proverbs 31.10 of the noble or excellent woman. And though Ruth doesn't know it yet, Boaz has agreed to do more than she has asked. He wanted to marry her, but he has promised to guarantee her future with him or without him. And here we hit a bit of a sudden detour in this story. Boaz is willing to marry her, but there is another man who is a closer relative, and he must have first choice in the matter. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him, and if he's willing to redeem you, very well, let him marry you. But if he's not willing, then he sure, as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. So lie down here until morning. Boaz cares so much for Ruth and Naomi that he's willing for the other man to redeem Ruth, even if it meant Boaz would never marry her. He only wants her needs to be met. Now third, he protects her reputation and he provides a pledge to Naomi. He is to leave in the pre- she is to leave in the pre-dawn darkness so that no rumors get started. The gift of grain is like a dowry payment to Naomi. Six measures of barley might weigh something like 60 to 90 pounds. Boaz's extravagant gesture to Naomi, was intended to show his commitment to both women. A lesser man might say, I'll marry Ruth and not worry about Naomi, but Boaz was not a lesser man. So the second scene ends as the sun rises over the mountains to the east. Now scene three is a providential pause. Verse 16, when Ruth went back to her mother-in-law Naomi, asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her and she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. Now, if we were writing this story, we would go straight to planning the wedding but that's not how life works. Every relationship has its ups and downs, its sudden twists and turns, and no doubt Ruth went home elated and then deflated. She had every reason to smile because Boaz had not only welcomed her, but he promised to marry her if he could. But those three little words hung in the air. There, then uh, there was this other man, this mystery man, a closer relative who had the first right of ref- refusal. So Boaz couldn't be the kinsman-redeemer until the first man turned it down. But how would that happen? What if the other man decided to marry her? Would, Would she have to do the whole threshing floor at midnight routine again? So many questions flooded her mind. And that's when Naomi offered some very sensible advice. Just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. The man won't rest until he has settled things today. The word translated wait can also mean sit down. We would say today, sit tight. Sometimes the godliest thing we can do is to sit and wait. Waiting time is not wasted time if we're waiting on God. As this chapter draws to a close, it seems like the story has hit a snag, but it is a providential pause that sets up the final act. It gives us time to think about each person in the story. Naomi, Naomi's heart has been warmed by the Lord. The woman who came home bitter and empty now sees God at work behind the scenes, and when she returned to Jerusalem, she was hungry, she was penniless, and that's all about to change for good. Ruth has taken the daring step of proposing marriage to Boaz. She doesn't Do it in a way that gives Boaz the option to say no, but he is not about to refuse her. And clearly the Lord has stirred up love between these two unlikely people. Boaz has acted with the highest character when another man might have taken advantage of this situation. No matter what happens next, Ruth will have a husband and Naomi will never be in want ever again. So what about this snag Well, Shakespeare said, the course of true love never did run smooth. Faith waits for what it wants. How different that is from the way most of us live, isn't it? Waiting is one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life. Thousands act as uh, who cannot wait, and, and yet we all spend a big chunk of our lives waiting for things to happen. For every green light, it seems that there are five yellow lights and a dozen red ones. We all must wait whether we like it or not. In this case, Ruth must wait for Boaz to take care of this matter. Perhaps it will be resolved favorably, but maybe it won't. And when, when it cannot do anything else, faith has to wait on God. How hard that is for most of us. But waiting has its uses, it slows us down, it gives us time to think, it gives us time to pray, it teaches us that God is in charge, not us. Was it daring for Ruth to approach Boaz at midnight? Without a doubt. Could she have been seen by others? Definitely. Was it risky to put on an attractive dress and, and wear her perfume? No question about it. So many things in the story could have gone wrong. And I began by saying, a good man, a good woman, are hard to find. In Ruth chapter 3, a good woman finds her good man. And it happens through a risky plan that leads to a midnight proposal that ends with a providential pause. You see, the fingerprints of God are all over this story. Ruth chapter 3 shows us how God works through our choices to accomplish his will for our lives. He used Naomi's plan, he used Ruth's daring and Boaz's integrity to bring them to the brink of marriage. And though they don't know it yet, that union will produce a child who will be the ancestor of Jesus Christ, the savior of the world. This story is going to have a happy ending, but we're not quite there yet, so stay tuned. You won't believe how Boaz solves the snag and clears the way for a happy wedding day. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for Jesus, the living word. And thank you for the Bible, your written word. Thank you for the scriptures that point to Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, our risen savior, our coming king. And may we learn the many lessons that your word teaches us and may we grow in grace and fall more in love with Jesus day by day. And it's in his name that we pray.